Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we got another big deal champion, a friend of Kyle Coleman, one of the best episodes ever. His name is Anthony Cesario. He's the VP of Industries and Go-To-Market Solutions at Clary, and he was the previous RVP of Enterprise Sales over at Oracle. Nick, why should people listen? We talked a lot about like meetings and discovery, and Anthony gave me some legitimately new stuff I haven't heard about questions you can ask and ways you can run discovery meetings. He also talked about when you shouldn't be talking about business outcomes and vision with prospects. Three, two, one, the vision. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Anthony, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Yeah, let's do it. So three things that hopefully you guys walk away with today. First is 
becoming a student of the company that you're prospecting into or that you're selling into of their career website. Super important, right? If you think about what, what a job posting is, that's a company, that's an executive going and getting budget allocated to a headcount to solve a problem. So you go look at, let's say you're selling into the sales department, right? You go look at the VP of sales job they're hiring for. You're going to see the exact pains that that person has to go solve for. You'll probably see who they report to. And that's going to help you establish a really good point of view on their business and, and what they're trying to solve for. Love it. What's number two, Anthony? Yeah. Number two, when you get that meeting, right? You had a great point of view and you're getting ready to have that meeting. Always send a pre-meeting email to all attendees. Don't do it before the meeting. Do it the day before the meeting so they have time to digest it. And, you know, the kind of things that go into that email, right? It's going to be stuff like setting expectations on timing. You know, how many times have you showed up to a meeting with an executive when you thought it was 60 minutes, they gave you 20. And it's things like, showing them that you have structure and that you're coming with a with a plan and, and what you're going to present and asking them for feedback on the agenda because um, that's important as well. Ooh, nice. What's number three? Yeah, three. Um, and this is another kind of component of having great meetings. And it's a concept I call moments that matter. It's how you think about what a successful meeting looks like. So moments that matter is literally writing down what exactly do you want the key person in that meeting to walk away saying, thinking, or feeling when they leave that meeting? If their wife or their husband or their boyfriend were to talk to them after that meeting and say, hey, what was that all about? What do you want them to say? And planning for that and driving the whole meeting around that. So let's start with what happens before the meeting, and then let's get into the actual meeting mechanics. So let's dig in on this pre-meeting email. So how does this change when you're having a first discovery call with, I don't know, someone who requested a demo, for example, versus when you're going into that meeting with an exec and seven other people on their team. What do you want the outcome to be, right? So the outcome might just be on a first meeting, wow, this guy, Armand's really you know smart. You know, I should spend more time with him. The outcome might be, holy smokes, this company's doing innovative things, right? So whatever that is, that, that's going to influence the tone and, and, and the content, even of that pre-meeting email, right? So if it's a discovery meeting, that might look something like, hey, really appreciate you offering to share some time. We have 30 minutes together. Typically in 30 minutes, we can cover X, Y, and Z. And if you had other thoughts in mind, let me know. And they might come back and say, hey, no, I want to see a demo. And, and then you can you have the opportunity to now set expectations and not miss the mark, right? And say, well, cool. If we were going to do a demo, we actually need 50 minutes. Do you have 50 minutes? And so it gives you that opportunity to set both of you up for success and, and not miss expectations. Whereas if there's several stakeholders involved, and maybe it's your first meeting like with the executive team, right? You might be tailoring that a little bit more to the executives. Hey, Mrs. CFO, I know you're signed up for 60 minutes. Can you make the whole 60 minutes? And these are the things that that we thought were going to be relevant. Want to make sure we're focusing on time on on, on topics that that are important to you as well. And so again, depending on what you're trying to accomplish with that meeting, that might dictate the content in that email. One of the things that I do is anytime I've got multiple stakeholders on an email is I'll email each person individually and ask them, Is there anything in particular you really want to make sure that we address in the meeting? And frequently what happens is I end up setting multiple other meetings because of that, because I'll have someone who says, well, I'm kind of interested in the dashboards you're going to show me, but data security is something I'm way more interested in. And I'll say, okay, well, then we probably need to set a meeting with our IT director. And so I start to multi-thread and I get concurrent next steps on the calendar and the deals start to move a lot faster. I'm curious, Anthony, what do you do when someone 
kind of pushes back on you where it's like, you say, Hey, do you still have the 60 minutes? And the COO says, no, you've got 10. How do you respond to something like that? <laughs> well, you know, again, I, I think one good thing about doing this type of pre-meeting, you know, preparation is one, you're gauging how interested they really are. So that, that telling you something. And what I tend to do when, when someone tells me they only have a little bit of time, I force them to, to make a trade-off on what, to, on what they want to cover in that time. Right. So, okay. In 10 minutes, we can probably ask you questions about your business to make sure we're, we're aligned for the next set of meetings. We could probably give you like an overview of, of our company and kind of how we've worked with folks like X, Y, and Z, your competitors, yada, yada, yada. Or we could give you like a really high overview of the product, but it's not going to be tailored to your business at all. Which of those do you think, you know, would make the most sense to do in, the, in 10 minutes? knowing that everyone else is going to be on for 50 minutes, what would you think we should start the first 10 minutes with, right? Like force them to make that hard decision of like what they're actually asking you to do. I love that. That's absolutely killer because you're giving them perceived control, but you're basically trading value for that extra time that they're giving up. And so if it was in your choice, I'm curious, when you get into that big meeting where you might have multiple stakeholders on it, how do you prefer to run that meeting? Do you want to start with slides? Do you want to start with discovery? Do you want to start with demo? How do you approach that first multi-threaded meeting? So I'm a really big believer of pattern interrupt, right? You know, I'm a student of kind of how our brain works and how the synapses fire. And when the second somebody sees the agenda slide and here's what we heard slide and their brain goes into, okay, I know what's next. All right, next is going to be the problem statement. And then you're going to like, give me some, some big picture statistics. And then you're going to like show me your logo slide and tell me how you solved it for all these other companies. So they check out whether they realize it or not until you get to the demo or whatever they came to see. So uh, I, I think that in any meeting, you should pattern interrupt a little bit. And that's where that moments that matter concept actually comes in. Like before we even get to the agenda, I might put up a slide that is like literally in quotes, the three things I want them to walk away saying, thinking or feeling. And, and it might sound something like this. Hey, if you guys are anything like me, you go into one of these demos and you know you see a bunch of stuff and you walk away. And if I were to ask you in a week, you probably don't even remember my name and you might not remember anything you saw except for like two or three things. So if we do our jobs well today, here's what I think you should walk away saying, thinking, feeling. And if you don't, we didn't do our jobs well because they're all absolutely true. And it's, oh my gosh, Armand, we need to spend more time with Anthony Cesario. This guy's really sharp. Or it's, Holy smokes, Clary sounds like, you know, they've got a world-class sales team. We should, you know, meet those folks or whatever that is, right? Like you set that up at the beginning of the meeting, but that's going to be tailored to what you're trying to accomplish, right? So that might be like in real life, that might be something like we need to get this in front of Larry, Sally, and Joe, right? As a next step, it might be, oh, wow, can't believe the time to value on this thing. So now you're giving them kind of the foundation for what to look for in the rest of the presentation. And then, you know, then you get into like, now the pattern has been interrupted. Now they're listening and it's up to you to go from there. I think it's important to talk about them before you talk about yourself, right? So like from there, it might go into a really strong point of view on their business and a thoughtful dialogue around that. And yeah, so that's kind of how that would usually kick off. So can I dig in on, on those three things that you want people to take away? None of those things were product, feature, benefit related. You were talking about business outcomes. I think I wrote it down. You said, we need to get this to Sally, Bill, Joe as one of yours. And the other one was like, we love the time to value. But none of those are really talking about Clary. And so do you have any best practices for what those three big outcomes should be? Yeah, I'm with you, Armand. I think it's always good to think business outcome focused, right? We At Clary, we think a lot about strategic growth initiatives and we use that to drive our entire sales process, right? So when we sell on the sales teams, it's like, 
hey, what's going on in their business? Well, they're trying to scale up market or they're they're going from you know on-premise to cloud or they are they brought a new product to market, right? So one of those takeaways might be if like the CROs in the room, it might be, holy smokes, this is going to help us ramp this new sales team much faster, right? So like there's almost always at least one that's tied to like a strategic growth initiative, but sometimes it might be just like a human thing. We want them to like feel good about our team and that we're smart and they want to spend more time with us. It might be something really tactical, like we're too low in the company and we need to get this to their boss. Let's just tell them that we want to get this to their boss as a takeaway. You set the table for the rest of the meeting, right? Like I might get to the point in the meeting where I say, hey, Armand, this is the part that Nick's really going to love. Pay attention, right? Or if you feel like the meeting went well, sometimes you got you to gauge whether you want to do this or not, but you can end the meeting with that same slide, right? And say, let's circle back, right? So holy smokes, you know, my sales reps are going to love this. Check. We all good. Two thumbs up. Cool. Hey, you're ready to go bring Nick into the discussion? No, you're not. Why not? What, you know, what, what would Nick have not elected? Or what, what would you have needed to have seen to like say, Nick, you should check this out? So sometimes you have to gauge that, but that, that's, that's a fun way to end the meeting too. So you talk about this other thing where you're saying, I want to make sure that I have a point of view on their business. Is that something that's coming right after this? Or how does that play into the broader sales meeting? if you're selling something that has any level of complexity that comes before you even prospect, right? Like when I talk about a point of view on the business, right. You know, go back to the career site example, it's digesting everything you can about the business, right? They're, if they're public, their 10 Ks and your annual statements, their CEOs, YouTube interviews, all the, you know, fun stuff that I'm sure everyone listening to this already does, but now that point of view starts, you know, obviously as you prospect into the account, and then you validate that point of view and strengthen it as soon as you get in to, you know, get to talk to people. And, you know, and that point of view changes at different levels, right? You know, if you're talking to the CEO versus the CFO versus some, you know, operations manager, they're all going to have a little bit of a different take on it. And it's up to you to take that and apply it and then figure out how, you know, how that's going to drive the way you engage with each persona and, and how you present in the meetings. So it's important to have a hypothesis on where you think you can be helpful. But at the same time, as you know, in discovery, that can change. You can find other things that could be helpful to them that you weren't expecting in your original point of view. And so let's say I've established a point of view on where Clary can be helpful to the CRO of the organization. You're in that call with the CRO today. What are you doing from a discovery standpoint in terms of your questioning to validate or disprove that hypothesis? And then where do you take it from there? So the way that you validate that point of view can come across as, hey, Armand is really smart and I like, I wish this guy worked for me, or it could come across as gimmicky, right? And the thing that comes across as gimmicky often is when you have like the pattern, the stuff that's not pattern interrupt, when it's the what we heard slide and it's regurgitated and it's direct, obviously right from the 10K, like if you haven't put any critical thinking into it. So what what I tend to do is like, I give them like just enough to show that I did my homework and set the stage for the conversation, but not enough to like go give them a a report on their business. You know, she's the CRO of, of this company. You think I need to tell her about her business? No, but I might say, you know, hey, we've been students of your business, you know, saw that you guys are going from on-premise to to cloud, you know, and and it's been really successful over the last two years. You guys are bringing in some new products that are probably really interesting doing cross-sell, upsell, and with these new products into your current customer base. It's all that you just raised Series D. You got to imagine the new investors are asking you like, hey, where are you going to land two, three quarters from now? So look, this is something 
fairly common for us. We've seen it at, you know, X, Y, and Z company. I'm curious, like if I were sitting down with you and, and the board, what are some of the, the things that they're holding you accountable for as you think about the next six, 12, 18 months? Like, so it's just enough to like, kind of say, Hey, I did my homework. I know what I'm talking about, but I'm not here to tell you about your business. I'm here to ask thoughtful questions. Your point of view should more drive the questions you're asking. It's not there for you to just present your point of view. It's for you to, to, to use that point of view to influence how you ask questions, what, what you show in your product and everything like that. Perfect. And so from that point on, we've set the agenda up front. We've proposed three things that they possibly want to get out of the meeting. We've showed them we've done our research from there. Is there anything else that you're doing in your slide deck? Or at that point, are you dropping it and kicking off right into discovery? Typically, the story kind of goes, okay, great. We've established you know, what's important to you, what the charter is of the revenue team or whoever you know, it is that you're selling to. And then we'll typically do some validation at that point that like, hey, this isn't our first rodeo doing these very specific things. And if your point of view was good going in, this is where you hit a home run because they just told you all this stuff. You didn't tell them, they told you all these things that are important. Yeah, we're trying to accelerate ramp time for reps. We're trying to, we're going from TCV to ACV to ARR and it's really painful where you, we, we, you did forecast better out quarter, right? They've just told you those things and you've already kind of had that point of view. So now you can pivot and say, great, look, we've helped some of the top go-to-market teams across the globe do this exact thing. And you flick up your slide of like customers that have gone through this exact motion and maybe some quotes are from CEOs or CROs who said, oh my gosh, I couldn't have done this without Clary, right? So some validation that like anything we do from here on out, like we've done this before, right? I'm not just like a smart guy that did my homework. Clary as a company solves this problem. And then I try not to get into like the big like product build slides or any of that. Like I like for us, I like our product to do the talking for us as much as possible. So as little as we need to show about like our actual product without like before we go into like a demo and then, you know, again, then running just a really effective demo. So let's say you're in that like initial discovery meeting and it's just you and Armand, the CRO and You've talked a little bit about, right, he's going from the, the TCV to ARR model, and he's kind of uncovered some pain, and you know that you can address that pain, but Armand's sort of on the fence about, like, does he move to the demo or not? And you can kind of feel it sometimes when he's like, yeah, you know, okay, this sounds kind of interesting. How do you get that person to commit to taking the next step, which it sounds like for you would be a demo? I'm a big believer. If you feel that there's some tension, there probably is. I like to get it out there, right? Like I might say, hey, great conversation, right? You know, I got to be honest. It sounds like maybe there's some interest, but you might feel like, uh, you know, now's not the right time or like, I'm not quite ready to see a demo. Am I, am I feeling that right? Or like, what, what's your reaction at this point? You know, what would you need? Like, what would you have wanted to hear to like take this to the next step, right? And again, you got to do like delivery is everything. Like you can sound like a, like, you know, like a cornball if, if you just do that, like a robot and it feels like it's just you spitting it out because you, you knew you were going to say it no matter what, but like, it's more about being genuine, like, and actually showing a little bit of vulnerability, like, wow, you know, it's not sure there's a fit. I mean, you tell me, what, what do you think? What would you have liked to have seen? And that usually like gets you to whatever the disconnect is, right? What I've heard a lot with that, you know, Clary's never budgeted for. It's not like, hey, let me put AI machine learning on top of Salesforce budget sitting somewhere. So they might say like, oh, honestly, no, the, the product sounds really cool, but we don't have budget for something like this. 
And, and that's when I, now I know what I have to address, right? I've got a fresh slate to go address the budget concern and tell them, you know, look, we've never been budgeted for once in the history of, of our 350 plus customers. So like, let's talk about how other companies have approached it. So I want to dig into that a little bit because I don't think we've actually talked through how to get through the no budget objection. Most of the people listening to the show probably do not sell a CRM, an HRIS platform, the essentials. A lot of them sell layered on solutions or modules or things like that, myself included. And so how do you go about spontaneously combusting some budget into the air so that somebody can pay for Clary? Yeah, it's a good question. So I had a sales coach back in the day, a guy named Jody Liberto. He was really, really great here in the Bay Area. And Joe used to always do this exercise with me when I was like a BDR, when I complained about budget problems and I was selling HR software. You'd say, Anthony, let's, let's do an exercise. If I told you with 100% certainty that if you give me $50,000 next week, I could give you a million dollars a week later. Like we put it in writing, contractual, you give me 50 grand next week, I give you a million a week later. Could you come up with 50 grand? And I was like, you know, 25 years old. And I was like, you know, if I knew I could get a million dollars, I could probably find a way to get you 50 grand next week. I don't like I would make it happen. And he's like, that's budget, right? There's never a budget problem. There's a value problem, right? So I've always kept that in the back of my mind, right? That like, if, if there's truly a budget problem, it's not a budget problem. It's they don't understand the value or they're not the person that would understand the value right? You're typically not high enough. Like if you're actually impacting the strategic growth initiative, and if you know like what goes on at the executive, you know, e-staff level to deliver on these SGIs, these growth initiatives, it's like hell over high water. People get fired if they don't deliver on these things. So the better you get at being able to articulate how you're actually going to impact the business, the budget thing starts to like come together. So Anthony, I want to dig in on that. Amazing story. One of the, the big things that is the separation gap between an SMB to mid-market and then the big gap to enterprise is an SMB and mid-market, you're selling these, you know, these 20K, these 50K contracts, the bigger ones are 100K. And you're usually still at that point solving technical problems. You're solving process problems. You're not solving a problem for somebody who oversees an org of 5,000. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about from a discovery standpoint, how can mid-market and SMB reps get better at driving to business impact so that they can justify what would be an insane $1.5 million Clary deal? Yeah, it's all, it's all relevant. There's kind of, I don't know if you guys have ever seen like the value pyramid, right? Where you have kind of vision at the top and then strategy and then, you know, uh, tactics and then, and then, you know, process to deliver those tactics and then, you know, implementation of process. Like, you know, I think being a student of that kind of like value pyramids are a really important thing and understanding where the person that you're interacting with sits on that value pyramid, right? So in a, in a small to mid-sized business, you know, like one of the great things that you have going for you is like, you could probably sell into like the CEO of that business, right? It happens a lot in, in small, for like 15K deals, like CEO is like in the meeting, Right. And you might be scared, like that might be like, oh, it's harder because I have to sell the CEO. I would argue the opposite. The CEO is the one who gets the bigger picture business outcome type stuff, right? So forget the deal size. That's relevant. It just depends on what you're selling. What great sellers do, what people who go to President's Club do is they can always find a way to, to relate what they're selling back to 
business impact, you know, strategic growth type initiatives, things that are what they're making decisions around for the company for the next 12 to 18 months, not, you know, the next 30 days. Tactical stuff gets done in 30 days, right? Like, oh, okay, I need to replace this. I got to solve this little problem. I got to do it quickly. But even if you have a tactical product, that's that's the name of the game, right? How do I tie that to impact at the top of the value pyramid? Well, you've got to understand where the person you're speaking to, and you might speak to people who are at different levels throughout your sales cycle, you've got to understand where they are. If you show up to a meeting with a CEO and you start talking about like tactics and specific clicks and the roles and permissions page, it's like you lose that person instantly. But on the flip side of that, if you go into a meeting with like the accounting specialist and you start talking business outcomes and vision, They'll be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really nice, but like, how do I do my job? And so one of the challenges as a seller is you need to calibrate with the other person and understand where they are in terms of the problem that you're solving, and then talk about your solution in the context of that. It's super astute, Nick. Yeah. Um, you can't up-level on the value pyramid more than probably one level for somebody, right? But you should be up-leveling one level. Right. So let me tell you you what I mean by that. So if I'm talking to, again, I'll put it in my world, right? So like a sales ops manager and I want to know, right? Like how strategic do I get with this person? A sales ops manager is like very much in the process and implementation of process world, right? Like, oh, I got to make tweaks to Salesforce to do this, 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 and this, right? You know, one level above that might be like, okay, what kind of investments in technology are you making to, to drive better outcomes for your users on the sales team, right? Two levels up from that might be, what does the CRO care about and how do you serve that person's needs? So I I might baseline up a little bit, right? So like I might say, okay, I'm going to go up a level in my discovery question. So like, hey, when you sit down with the CRO, what are the types of things that, you know, that she's asking you or holding you accountable for over the next like six to 12 months? And what I hear from their response will drive where I go next. If they say, well, look, we're scaling into new markets and we want to go into the enterprise space. So we're trying to figure out how do we look at the business differently to go into enterprise? I'm like, okay, cool. They're strategic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up-level them a little bit. I'm going to put them on the same playing field as maybe even I would on the CRO and make them feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm up-leveling them. If they're like, well, they're asking me, like, can you do better quotes? Because my reps hate the CPQ system. And then I might say, like, okay, cool. This person's like super tactical and I got to be careful here. I might even start figuring out who else I have to bring into the conversation. So, like, you you always want to go one level up. And I've even seen this done at, like, the, the CEO level where this is especially important when you have an executive in the room. The questions you ask show where they should baseline you. Because if you're coming in as like a technologist with a a C-level executive, they're almost definitely baselining you down towards the bottom of the pyramid, like process, implementation of process. They're probably not thinking, hey, Nick's like this really strategic guy who I can talk to about my business problems. They're probably like, okay, I got invited to this demo and I got to see like, does this set my needs? So that might, that conversation might be like similar. Hey, Nick, typically when we sit down with CROs, We'll start off like with questions about, hey, what is the board asking of you? And we'll hear things like, well, we need to drive 120% net dollar retention. And as you guys look to scale into the enterprise market, do you have the right team in place? And so you're kind of giving them a little menu of like things that you're here and ready to talk about at their level. 
We got to move to the final question because we're running out of time here. So final question is this, Anthony. We've talked about a ton of really good things reps can do pre-meeting and in-meeting to impact their sales process. We got to talk about a bad habit here. So my question for you is what is one bad habit that you see a lot of sales reps doing that you think they need to cut, stop doing, and it will make their lives easier? Listening. I mean, honestly, I'm not going to be like the, hey, you got to be a great listener. But like, no, I mean, when you ask a great question, like, actually listening and writing down because you're not like a superhuman you're not going to remember like write down as they're talking what you're hearing repeating back to them hey let me make sure i heard this right i think i heard you say this this and this and then using that and applying it to actually change your behavior you know i think people do a little bit of these things right like they might ask good questions they might take great notes but like, how do you actually take that and use it to influence if someone just told you something really important and that doesn't change what you're about to present to them, like you got to figure it out. So I, I think that's it. Like people are so rigid in how, like how they run their meetings and how they run, you know, to, you got to be, you have to be nimble enough uh, to, to take what you heard and actually apply it or do your very best to apply it or use it to like call out, you know, and later in the meeting or later in the sales cycle, Hey, you said this. So that's probably it. Like I see sales, like way too many people like just have a canned pitch or not even a canned pitch. Like they show up knowing what they're going to present, right? Like before the meeting's even done. And I don't care how much prep you did. Like you're almost definitely going to get a curveball, and you got to be ready to be agile. So that that's something that, yeah, I, I hire for that because I've seen it so much that people aren't flexible enough to, to be dynamic and, and change what they planned. Like I'll literally build that in my interview process to see like, how do people act react on their feet when, when their whole interview prep they did for Anthony got blew up and, and now what? Right. But that, that's a big one. Yeah. Just listening and, and, and pivoting and reacting to what you're hearing. I love it. Well, if you listen to this episode, listen again and write some things down. This has been awesome. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. Anything you want to plug before we jump off here? No, look, um, come, uh, if you guys need help with any of this stuff, Clary, Clary actually, you know, obviously has some great technology that, that can help with, uh, with a lot of these things, but, um, now I'll plug you guys keep, keep doing great work and, uh, love to be a student of the rest of your guests. Well, I'll, I'll plug for you. Everybody go check out Clary, go fill out a demo request form and just write Anthony's name in the comments, let him get some attribution, but, uh, Anthony, thanks for coming on and everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect 
any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Anthony Cesario include, number one, the pre-meeting agenda, everything from the timing expectations to the structure of the meeting to asking for feedback on the agenda. Send it to the folks on the meeting beforehand so they have the ability to disagree or buy in or not buy in on that agenda. Number two, whenever you're starting those meetings, you want to make sure that customers remember the three things that you need them to take away. And don't get caught in the feature weeds here. Make sure they know the three big picture takeaways because they're not going to remember everything that's going to come from your meeting. Number three is we have our sales pyramid, our value pyramid. And every time you start a conversation, you're going to try to ask questions one level up. For example, hey, what does your CRO think about this? How are you trying to help them out? And then lastly, number four, when you're meeting with another executive, a lot of times you can tell by the types of questions somebody will ask if they are above or below the line. And so if you want to appear as above the line, what you can start to say is like, hey, usually when I'm talking to other CROs, they're looking to deal with X, Y, and Z related to how they're meeting their board expectations, things that are bigger about the company's vision, how they're going to miss their revenue targets, things like that, as opposed to how many clicks their reps are going to save. All righty, Nick, those are our four. How can people help us out? I like it when people subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you might not see when the next episode comes out. And then you've got to listen to something lame. Like, I don't know. I won't make fun of any other podcast. So subscribe to the show. We'll see you guys next week on 30 Minutes of President's Club. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. And if you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.